Hey everybody, welcome into the Just In Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson, and you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And in today's episode, we'll talk about the NFL franchise tag deadline, along with other NFL news. We'll talk about the NBA and what's going on with their bubble. We'll talk about the WNBA, and we'll have our best for last. Now, I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. Alrighty, guys, and we are back. Now, the NFL franchise tag deadline was Wednesday at about 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Now, at that time, anybody on a franchise tag or a transition tag or anything like that either had to sign their franchise tender, set out the year, or negotiate a long-term contract with their team. Now, the big news, obviously, was whether Dak or whether not Dak would get signed with the Cowboys. The answer to that question is no. Now, up until a couple hours ago before Thursday night, a lot of speculation was going where they hadn't talked since March. Now, Jane Slater reported that Dak's negotiations with his agent, Ty France, and Jerry Jones were at a last ditch effort. They were feverishly trying to negotiate a contract, trying to get one on the books before the season starts, but they unfortunately they ran out of time now, Dak Prescott playing on the franchise tag will become the third quarterback ever to do so. He joins Drew Brees, who did so with the San Diego Chargers at the time, and he joins Kirk Cousins, who famously did it twice before moving on to sign the three-year, fully guaranteed $84 million deal with the Vikings. Now, for Dak Prescott, what's the harm here? He plays on a guaranteed $31.4 million salary. Then he is to play this game again next offseason. But if Dallas offers a franchise tag, he can sign it quickly and guarantee himself $37 million in a time where the salary cap is expected to dip $40 to $60 million. Dak Prescott's on the books for $37 million fully guaranteed. Now, this could benefit Dak in a way where he can be on the Kirk Cousins path, who, when Cousins took his two franchise tags with the NFL team in Washington, that led to him getting the three-year fully guaranteed deal in Minnesota, and no player has been higher paid than Kirk Cousins over the past five seasons. That's including all the big massive deals we've seen from Aaron Donald. That includes Jared Goff's deal, Carson Wentz, Tom Brady. Nobody has made more money in the NFL over the past five seasons than quarterback Kirk Cousins. So that can look at it as, okay, well, I can guarantee myself a salary, or if they go, if we have a football season and they go and they win 14 games, make a conference championship game, make a Super Bowl with his price tag, he can truly demand 40, 42 million dollars because he's right on the cusp of winning if a Super Bowl if they do not, in fact, win a Super Bowl this year with the talent they have on the roster. But I don't know if Dak and the Cowboys will ever agree to a deal. What I mean is the price is going to go up. He's going to look at guys like Deshaun Watson, who's going to make $40 million a year. Or he's going to look at guys like Lamar Jackson, who's going to make that. Baker's maker field is due for a contract extension. Sam Darnold's going to have to be done soon. And Dak Prescott will have more of his agenda than a Deshaun Watson, than a Baker Mayfield, than a Sam Darnold. And if they get $38, $40 million a piece, well, he's going to look at, I deserve more than them because I've done more than them over my career. Now, according to reports, the final offer was $33 to $35 million annual with about $100 million guaranteed. 
Now, in my opinion, that's a low ball on both, considering that $35 million is right around Russell Wilson, and Russell Wilson got that as an extension with years left on his contract. Dak completely played his contract out. So I think that market value for him is $37.5 to $40 million, and then $100 million guaranteed would be less than golf and less than Wentz. Now, they didn't say how much was due at signing because Carson Wentz got about $66 million due at signing. So Dak would be looking for 10 to 15% more than that. So something around $72, $73 million at due at signing with about 120 in total guarantees with roster bonuses, injury protections, things of that nature. So this could lead to a messy divorce. But I think that Dallas is prepared for that by having Andy Doan in the building. And I believe that Dak is prepared for that going into free agency, holding all the cards in his hand. I think he could be the most sought after free agent ever. You look at other free agents that's hit the market completely and totally free. Drew Brees got six years, $60 million from the Saints in 2006. Peyton Manning got a big contract from the Broncos after his neck fusion surgery. Cam Newton only got a million dollars from the Patriots. However, Kirk Cousins got $84 million from the Vikings. So considering Dak Prescott's resume, he'll only be 26 years old. He's durable. He's never missed a game. He's battled through injuries, and he's a leader and quite marketable. I think he'll be worth a massive contract in free agency from a marketability standpoint and a production standpoint. So that'll be something to watch. Now for some deals that did get done. Chris Jones gets paid by the Chiefs, which is what Patrick Mahomes wanted to do when he left some money on the table for Kansas City was give them the ability to continue to surround him with talent and continue to surround him with pieces to help him win Super Bowls and reach some of those incentives in his contract. Now, the Chiefs were able to lock in Chris Jones on a four-year, $85 million contract with $60 million in guarantees. Now, this is a big deal for them because it was rumored all offseason that they were looking to trade him or allow him to play on the franchise tag that he was unwilling to play on himself because they didn't know how much Mahomes was going to take up with a contract. Chris Jones seemed to have wanted to get his deal done first, and the market was thawing for pass rushers like Jadavion Clowney. No one was knew that Miles Garrett was going to sign a deal. And so the Chiefs were looking to trade him in order to alleviate cap space and things of that nature. But Mahomes taking such a friendly deal allowed the Chiefs to come back to Chris Jones, do more of a shorter term deal instead of a longer extension of five, maybe six years, and be able to get him signed and you have him happy so the Chiefs can make another run at the Super Bowl, maybe even two or three. I mean, they've got Mahomes on the contract, Tyron Matthew, uh, Miko Hardman, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, Chris Jones. All their key players are under contract for multiple seasons. That's not named Sammy Watkins. So the Chiefs were able to get a deal done with Chris Jones right before the deadline. And I do mean right before the 3 p.m. deadline. Derrick Henry and the Titans agree on a deal. Now, when I first saw it was a four-year deal, I was thinking 60 million, maybe even 70 million. But Derrick Henry signs for $50 million with $25.5 million guaranteed. Now, that is more than his franchise tag number would be this year, but total is not more than what his franchise number would be next year. 
But however, it keeps the Titans out of negotiations with Henry for at least two seasons because then they can completely renegotiate the contract because it basically guarantees the first two years of the four-year deal and it gives Derrick Henry a little bit of security. So if he has an injury maybe next year, not as productive, he doesn't have to worry about his value tanking because he has another year to get that productivity back up if something were to happen. Now for fans, it's a little of an underpay. And as far as Derrick Henry, it's a little bit of an underpay. Again, I was thinking 60 or maybe even $70 million because he did win the rushing title and almost ran the Titans to a Super Bowl. I think maybe if they had hung on that last game, they may have increased his value. If they hung on and beat the Chiefs and went and played the 49ers, anything can happen. But ultimately, he decides to take the deal. Uh, no qualms in that. The Titans were able to get it done. And they were able to get him locked in. He's able to get a little bit of security. He's able to guarantee himself $25 million regardless of what happens. So that's a great deal for him in terms of the guarantees. Not great in terms of the total value. But I also not think they'll renegotiate this thing in two years and go back to the drawing table. Maybe guarantee the last two years, renegotiate, bump some salaries up, move some stuff around uh, to manipulate the cap along with making sure that Henry is paid. And now the last big deal to come through was Miles Garrett with the Cleveland Browns. Obviously, Miles Garrett missed the last few games of the season with the incident with Mason Rudolph where he clunked him on the head with a helmet. But he got signed by the Browns five years, $125 million, making him the highest paid defensive player in the NFL and NFL history. Now, he's also the youngest of these guys to get paid. He was younger than Aaron Donald. When he got paid, he's younger than Khalil Mack when he got paid. And Garrett is flat out more talented than a guy like DeForest Buckner or Chris Jones or Chandler Jones even. And so he deserves to be the highest paid player. I was shocked to see they went so far over the annual value of what guys like Khalil Mack and Aaron Donald got. But I suppose that is due to age and the Browns having cap flexibility. Due to Baker Mayfield being on his rookie contract, they haven't picked up his fifth year option yet, so he's not on the books for that. And so they're going to spend money. I mean, look at the Browns. They're paying Jarvis. They're paying Odell. They're paying Austin Hooper. They're not paying Nick Chubb his market value yet, but they're paying uh, two, three offensive linemen. Now they're paying on the defensive side of the ball market level value or even exceeding market level value for a guy like Miles Garrett, which always makes me kind of look at the Jets and their situation, how they can't afford to pay Jamal Adams and they're not paying anybody. They're only paying two people over $10 million a year. That's Le'Veon Bell and CJ Mosley. Everybody else is not making much and their team's not very good. I don't get how they can't pay Jamal Adams. It's really weird, but I suppose that that's something that they have to worry about that the Browns don't. But good job by the Browns to get Miles Garrett signed. Even though he had the incident, that shows faith in the Browns. And it shows faith that the Browns have in him. And I'm sure there's language in the contract. You know, like he gets suspended for on-field conduct or something like that again. It could avoid the guarantees. We've seen that with Antonio Brown with the Raiders. He got suspended for conduct detrimental. And he immediately voided his guarantees out of his contract. So I'm sure the Browns have something similar in the contractual language with Miles Garrett. You know, if he clunks another quarterback over the head with a helmet, that they could void the 
guarantees out and turn the contract into a week-to-week, making it very team-friendly. And now we're going to switch from contract news to league news in general. The Texans and the Chiefs rookies have been told to report to camp for testing and getting the facility by the 20th. Uh, They're due to report by the 20th. Now, the NFL and the NFLPA are still negotiating return to play protocols. That is everything, including testing. That is how they're supposed to act in the building, what they're going to do in terms of on the field equipment. We've seen models of a helmet with a mouth guard on it to prevent spreading, uh, how they're going to do post game interactions, things of that nature. Now, I think the post game interaction rules, along with the mouth guard, is a pretty dumb situation. I mean, if guys are going to be allowed to tackle each other and play football for three and a half, four hours, and then now they can't do a jersey swap or they can't breathe on each other, like they're not passing sweat and blood and anything else that may happen while they're on the field. So I think that's a bit of a stretch and something that's unnecessary. But right now, the NFL and the NFLPA are negotiating things return to play. So we had the NFL initially wanting to hold 35% of player salaries in escrow, which the NFLPA rejected soundly. And now the NFL is proposing a $40 million cut to the salary cap just next year and then letting it bounce back the year after that, which the NFLPA does not want to do because a $40 million reduction in salary cap kills the market. It just wrecks the market, for especially for a very talented running back class coming up, along with the rookies will be impacted because their percentages would drop immediately. So the NFLPA rejects that idea. They are wanting to do something that spreads over multiple years. So if it's a $40 million decrease, they want to put 10 in one year, eight in another, five in another, spread it over multiple years of the collective bargaining agreement to allow salaries to still rise, to allow the cap to still rise, and salaries to increase just not by the percentage that was originally expected. So I don't think this will get as ugly as baseball because the NFL is operating under the premise of if there's no deal, players have to report by the 20th or face sanctions. Now the NFL PA could fight those sanctions, but the NFL PA is not nearly as strong as Major League Baseball Players Association. So I don't think we'll have the strife of no games because they're fighting over things. Roger Goodell will eventually just drop the hammer or and him and Demora Smith will get in the room and battle it out. And whoever comes out the other side comes out the other side and we'll have football in the fall, barring that it is medically impossible. And we will have NFL football. That's just my opinion. If I had to guess, if I had to bet right now, I would say we'll be playing on time. No preseason. I definitely say no preseason, but I think we're going to get this thing in. We're going to finish it. We're going to have a Super Bowl champion, no fans, or severe reduced capacity, something like 25%. I've seen the Dolphins trying multiple seating cluster plans, things of that nature. So maybe 25% capacity, but we're going to get this thing in. But for constant updates, again, follow the Twitter. And uh, we're going to shift right now to the NBA and their bubble and we're going to talk about that right after this break alrighty guys and we are back and now we're going to talk about the NBA and their bubble now there's a lot of things going on in the NBA bubble we've had a couple guys already break the bubble for food 
Rashawn Holmes of the Kings accidentally broke the bubble, according to him, to go pick up a food delivery. We've had guys tell people how to break the bubble to go get food and how delivery workers like Postmates and waiter and things of that nature is allowed to come to the front desk of the hotel. So if you really want to go get your food, you got to go to the edge of the bubble to grab it because they can't come in the bubble. And it's all kind of madness. So Rashawn Holmes has been in quarantine. He's been in quarantine for 10 days. He's had to face the repercussions of being in the bubble. Apparently, there's been nobody threatened to go home yet. I think it's supposed to be a third violation of the bubble that you're sent home. We haven't reached that point for anybody as of now. But what I did enjoy about the bubble is that people are being free and being themselves. And they really seem to be enjoying their time in the bubble once they got adjusted. The adjustment period was a little rough. I mean, all these guys are millionaires. All these guys are used to a certain lifestyle, used to certain abilities, used to certain things that they can have quick access to. And right now they can't get it for two and a half, three, maybe even four months. But we have guys like Kemba Walker, who's in interviews saying that he was just walking around and saw LeBron walking with Kyle Kuzma and JR and teammates. And he was like, when was the last time LeBron was able to walk around by himself, basically, without having a crew, without having Rich Paul, Randy, somebody from his crew or somebody from his staff with him? Because he's not worry about fans and things probably like that since he was nine which was, I think, a little bit of over-exaggeration, but true. I mean, everybody in the bubble is an NBA player. Everybody in the bubble is a professional athlete. You don't have to worry about an entourage. You don't have to worry about fans or you don't have to worry about anything like that. You can just be yourself. I mean, we've got guys sunbathing, shirtless, chugging beers or shotgunning beers like Jordan Clarkson. We've got J.J. Reddick in a pool doing shotgun challenges with beers and guys just having fun playing basketball. I mean, it is a pure and enjoyable experience. It looks like AAU, but for like grownups, like a three month AAU basketball camp, but for the top players in the world. Now, there is a little bit of hilariousness, yet kind of seriousness going on with the quote unquote snitch hotline. Now, that was one of the things the NBA said they were gonna set up was a hotline for players to report other players breaking the bubble so that staff members I guess can tell or different players can tell other people that hey I saw them leave you know check it out or hey I saw this person was in the bubble check it out now certain players are calling it a snitch hotline and saying that no player should report another player but however that I think they should I mean it's not a situation where you're snitching on that person missing curfew at a road game, you know, in college or high school. It's a situation where you're in Florida, which is a hot spot for COVID, and if you decide to go break the bubble to go to a restaurant or sneak to meet up with somebody and hang out, contact COVID, and then bring it back inside the bubble, nobody knows, nobody's taking precaution of six feet distancing. Everybody thinks that they nobody has it in the bubble. So you pass it to 30 or 40 people. Now there's an outbreak and the thing sh- and the bubble popped and it shut down. That'd be a massive revenue loss for the NBA, along with the money they put in making sure the bubble works. That'd be loss of revenue. The NFL owners will trigger the force majeure. They will go for things like a hard salary cap and even a reduction in the salary cap and 
change the way the NBA is done contractually, possibly forever, but at least for the next four to five to six seasons until the owners believe that they have recouped the losses or mitigated the losses to an extent where they'll feel comfortable going back to the old ways with all the salary cap loopholes and things of that nature. So I hope they keep telling on each other. I hope people eventually stop breaking the bubble. We just saw the basketball tournament do their bubble in Chicago. It went off without a hitch. The presentation was nice. They had like these large banners hanging down and a black wall that you couldn't really see the crowd. And it was great presentation. I mean, that's something that the NBA could look into, maybe having giant banners with that team. So if the Clippers are quote unquote at home, they would have the Clippers floor and then they would have giant banners of Clippers logo, Clippers colors to give it more of a home court advantage for the Clippers not being able to be in Staples Center. Same thing with the Lakers or same thing with the Pelicans or anybody like that. They can have that hanging from the ceiling to create a backdrop and create somewhat of a home field advantage. Now, there's been a couple of exits and entries due to different reasons. So James Harden arrived late. This was due to a family matter, according to the official release. And Zion Williamson has exited early. Also, again, due to a family matter, according to a release. So they are not sure how long Zion would have to quarantine upon re-entering. That would be due to the nature of his exit. So if it is a very serious family issue, then I think he would just have to pop negative twice over the course of three days and he'll be allowed to resume full activities. Now, James Harden has to quarantine for a few days and also test negative three times due to his arrival late. Now, his co-star Russell Westbrook has not arrived yet because he was still in quarantine after contracting coronavirus. And once he gets in, he'll have to test negative two or three times over the course of a 10 day quarantine period in order to be allowed back into the normal bubble. Now, basketball itself looks like a great product. We're seeing LeBron looks like he's in great shape. Anthony Davis, Kawhi is smiling often. James Harden looks like he's in good shape. Jokic lost a ton of weight over this break, and he looks like he's going to be ready to roll. Bowl Bowl has been on the court for the Nuggets. Not sure he's going to play. Not sure he's even eligible to play, but he's been on the court. I mean, you have a lot of guys who maybe thought their season was over. Like the Portland Trailbirds are getting all their bigs back. Myers and Leonard and that crew is all back. You look at the Sixers, who right before the break was injured. I mean, B body was wearing down. Ben Simmons had a back issue. Those guys seem to be healthy. We even got video of Ben Simmons pulling threes. I mean, this is, seems to be maybe the best case scenario for a truly mad dash to a championship. I wish they could have crowds. I wish they could have fans. But obviously that's impossible right now. And I'm glad that they're taking the precautions for that. But it's a situation where I would love to see some of these guys in that rested four month period, knowing the championships on the line three months from now and mad dashing to the finish. But ultimately it's gonna be great. I hope they take some suggestions and some ideas from the TBT. The NBA is a progressive league. And so they're ultimately always trying to find the best way to get things done. But I think this is gonna be amazing to watch, amazing to see. I hope players keep snitching and people keep leaving because 
outside of my selfishness of wanting to get this thing seen and get this thing done, you're putting everyone in the bubble at risk over what? Olive Garden? I'm not sure what amazing restaurants are in Orlando. Like, no disrespect to Orlando, but I'm not sure what's worth COVID, especially with 24-hour chefs and they've got New York strip steaks and ribs and all this other great food they can have inside the bubble, COVID-free. Yeah, you're willing to risk COVID for Applebee's? Maybe? I mean, I'm sure Orlando has some nice places, but the respiratory infection for a really four-star, five-star restaurant or an amazing chef cook steak with no COVID. I'm just gonna cook, I'm just gonna take the cook steak with no COVID, that's just me. I could be weird, I could be just odd here, but that's just me. So I hope they keep snitching. I hope they keep the bubble secured. And I hope this thing goes off without a hitch. Now, up next, we're gonna switch to the WNBA. Talk a little bit of negative news there and a little bit of positive news there after this quick break. Alrighty, and we're back. And now we're going to talk about what's going on with the W, as in the WNBA. So right now, the W is involved in a little bit of a controversy. Uh, one of their best players, Elena Deladon, who's the league MVP, the reigning league MVP for the defending champion, the Washington Mystics, has been denied a medical exemption for her Lyme disease. Now, Lyme disease has strongly diminished and all but eliminated her immune system along with other co-immune things that she has going on that makes her a super high risk just by nature of her disease for COVID. And so if something were to happen and she were to contract COVID, that would strongly increase her and she'd be very, very high risk for that. So she applied for a medical exemption. She's had Lyme disease for nine years. She takes, according to her, 64 pills a day in order to manage her Lyme disease and to make sure that she is able to play and able to live a semi-normal life with it. And she was denied a medical exemption by the WNBA through a panel of independent doctors. This is not a good look for the W. Um, That's one of the best players. Even if it's not one of the best players, it's a human in their league. She's as high risk as anybody else. I mean, it's a categorical underlying condition. It's not even underlying in her case. The league has known about it. She's been dealing with this, like I said, for nine years. And it's honestly sad. It's honestly depressing that now she's basically forced with the choice of either she decides that she misses out on her salary for this season or she puts her health on the line. Now, I know everyone in the bubble from Candace Parker to Brianna Stewart to Sue Bird and all the other great players are in the bubble are technically risking their health. Because like I spoke about on the NBA bubble, if someone breaks the bubble, then it could cause everybody else to get COVID and shut the season down. And the WNBA doesn't have the financial flexibility that the NBA has to continue to operate. I mean, the NBA owns half the WNBA. And so those owners lose their shirt this season or worse than normal. They may decide to pack up shop and close the WNBA's doors. So not having the compassion towards one of your best players, not a good look for the W. I mean, this is another situation like I spoke about last time with their conditions inside the wobble that 
the only time we ever seem to get the WNBA or women's sports in general on national coverage and get it spoken about and have interviews that are played on SportsCenter over and over again is when it's negative. And so this is another hit to the W, especially considering it is Elena Deladon, one of the three to see that came out with Brittany Griner and Skylar Diggins Smith that was that did in fact redefine the WNBA and bring it to the modern era and bring it to the new era of fans. I mean, all three of them were different. And so you have something like that and you have her accomplishments, what she's done in the league, what she's done overseas and just what she's done for the WNBA community and things of that nature to deny her is not a good look. And it's kind of honestly, like I said, sad. But on a more positive note, when it comes to the W, I expect a great season. Obviously, certain teams have lost players. Uh, the Sparks have lost a couple of good pieces. And we've got um, the Atlanta Dream embroiled in controversy with their owner and discussing being anti-Black Lives Matter and saying it's anti-Semitic and things of that nature. And so they are embroiled in a controversy of their own. But all in all, I expect great basketball. I mean, these ladies look ready. They look prepared. Uh, they look like they are focused a thousand percent on basketball and they are ready to roll. Some of them are adjusting to Florida heat. Like Candace Parker had a hilarious Instagram video discussing that she was not used to Florida and what to do to avoid an alligator. And all the ladies seem to be having improving conditions and that they will be ready to focus purely on basketball when their season starts because unlike the NBA where they're just trying to run, you know, eight game sprint in the playoffs, the WNBA is trying to play their 22 game season and having the playoffs all inside the wobble. So it's a different kind of challenge. It's a lot more games. It's 22 games plus multiple rounds of playoffs and then crowning a champion all inside, all inside the IMG Academy in Florida. So with this wobble, it gives a little different experience for rookies especially incoming and budding superstar Sabrina Ionesco out of Oregon. She was supposed to be the female takeover for Barclays and for the New York Liberty. I mean, now she won't play in Barclays for a year, at least. I mean, because she's going to be in the bubble and that's all rookies. I mean, they don't have to worry about travel of the WNBA or even the schedule or the weights of the workload because they're all in one location. So it'd be actually easier transition for them from college. You know, even though you play less games in the WNBA, the competition is stronger. Obviously, these are the best female players in the world. And so the competition is stronger, the physical pounding, the travel is a little bit more extreme. You know, you play conference ball in college, you're pretty much regionalized. I mean, she could play a game in Barclays on a Tuesday night is in Staples again on a Friday night. And then now she's in Minnesota on Sunday. And so you've got a situation like that. It'll be a little easier transition for rookies. So I expect rookies actually to have a better season than normal, considering that they won't have some of the rookie wear and tear from travel and things of that nature. But all in all, I hope the WNBA gets the Elena Deladon being corrected. I hope that she gets her medical exemption. I hope she's not forced to choose between her health or her salary. And I am looking forward to a great WNBA season inside the Wobble. And up next, we're going to transition to our best for last, which is going to be college football versus COVID.
Alrighty guys, and we are back for our best for last segment where we're going to talk about college football versus COVID. So recently, Ed O'Dron, head coach of LSU, has made a lot of news with some statements he said regarding college football. He said, uh, in short, that he can't take away football, that football shouldn't be taken away from the kids. It shouldn't be taken away from the state. It shouldn't be taken away from the country because this country and the state needs football. Now, this was taken out of context. It was run with because in truth, he said that we should have it with some adjustments. And then he laid out things that he thinks should change in order to try and comply with CDC and health officials guidelines and things of that nature. But I've heard this from several coaches. We've got coaches that will say that, oh, we're going to do the best we can and we're going to limit and we should have limits on the season and things of that nature. And then their kids are on campus in a week at full capacity. So obviously I think that a lot of these coaches may share what Ed Ogeron stated and that he's possibly taking the beating for them nationally and through the media and through people saying that it's insensitive and that they should be more aware and of the risk and things of that nature. And honestly, it's going to be a battle for everyone. I mean, athletics, specifically football, bolsters athletics, which in and of itself bolsters most universities in terms of their funding through the fans and through merchandise sales and through bowl bonuses and victories and advertising. And think about it when you watch a big LSU game, LSU versus Bama, they roll the SEC commercial 10 times. And they roll the LSU school commercial and they roll the Alabama school commercial five times a piece at least. I mean, that's advertising for the schools. That's advertising for the conference. I mean, it's just a lot of things that goes down when it comes to NCAAs trying to fight away COVID. And I think, honestly, that they would adjust basketball before they adjust football. We see several smaller conferences like D3 canceling the season entirely. A couple of junior college conferences have moved to the spring and the Big Ten has gone conference only. Now, there is growing sentiment that the SEC, the ACC and the Big 12 will try to work together. So wherever their plan is going to be, the three heads of those conferences would come together, formulate a singular plan and work off of that plan to in order to somewhat coordinate what would happen through college football. Now, I wish that they had come with this cooperative spirit earlier and they could have got all power five conferences on one wave on one vibe. And maybe that would have been a little better. Maybe they could have decided to play maybe bigger non-conference games like we had Alabama USC on the schedule. There was a big Ohio State game with Oregon on the schedule to where those guys would play each other through unionized testing so everybody had the same testing procedures you could believe the testing procedures you didn't have to go about risk with players things of that nature maybe you guys played again on the road with an empty stadium things of that nature so maybe you readjusted neutral site to a home and home or maybe you renegotiated the contract but there could have been things that could have been done but all in all i like how college football is trying to deal with this they're taking their time at least the Big 12, the SEC, and the ACC are. And when you've got a situation where you're dealing with kids, uh, a lot of these kids are willing to risk pretty much anything to go play football. So you're fighting financial strains and the want to play football along with safety. But I think we're going to get a college football season in. They're testing COVID vaccines now. 
a lot of these kids probably have antibodies. They probably had it snuffled for a week, week and a half, and then they were fine. But I cannot wait to see how this develops. So far, so great in terms of infection rates. We haven't had any massive stories about outbreaks on college campuses through athletes. So that gives me a little hope there. In terms of that, they'll get a season in, even if they have to go conference only, that they will crown a college football champion. And that wraps up today's show. A lot of great content today. I cannot wait for sports to return. We've got baseball on the 22nd. MLS is already back. UFC feels like they've been throwing events every other week. Basketball is back on the 30th with the NBA. And the WNBA will be sprinkled in there as well. Man. All right, guys, if you like what you heard, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Tell your friends. If you're looking for a great place to keep up with breaking news, subscribe to the Twitter at JTime Sports. Give that a follow. Turn on the post notifications. And again, tell your friends about us. I appreciate all the support, and I hope you guys have a great day.